Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed by what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. You guys are always asking me, Liz, what the heck do you do on your long runs? And Kate has recently converted me to Audible. With Audible, I'm able to combine my two favorite pastimes, running and learning. If that isn't the most Alyssa thing, I don't know what is. I know, right? So Audible has helped carry me many, many miles with audiobooks and podcasts. And the best thing about it is I'm able to download them directly to my phone and listen to them while I'm offline, running through the woods in the middle of nowhere with no self-service. And since I have a reading list approximately as high as I am tall, there's no other way I'd be able to consume so much with how busy I am. That's exactly why I love Audible. I've been a member for years now because I honestly cannot read enough books if I have to sit down to read them all. Audible has been a godsend because I can listen to audiobooks while I'm cooking, working out, or walking my pup Rocky, but my favorite way to use Audible is as I'm going to sleep, and you guys, I recently found out that Audible has bedtime stories narrated by none other than Nick Jonas and Tony Shalhoub, who you may know as the character Monk. Their voices are like so perfectly sultry and like they really guide you off to sleep. It's incredible. So every month, members get one credit to pick any title, no matter the cost, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digest and guided meditation programs, dare I say, by no other than the Pete Diddy himself. If that doesn't scream littlest meditation, I don't know what does. The Audible app is available on all smartphones and tablets, and you can download titles to listen offline anywhere and anytime. You can start listening today with a 30-day trial. You get one title plus two Audible originals for free when you visit audibletrial.com slash messymiddle. That's audibletrial.com slash M-E-S-S-Y-M-I-D-D-L-E. This is Alyssa Olenek of Littlest Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the Messy Middle Podcast for today's Little List Rant. 
we're going to talk about something that I get asked about quite often, and that's the impact of oral contraceptives or birth control on exercise training and performance. And so for those of you who maybe don't follow me on Littlest Fitness over at Instagram, found me through Kate or somewhere else, and or just unfamiliar with my background, I am currently a PhD student and my dissertation research work and like emphasis of my PhD in general is sex differences in uh metabolism during exercise specifically, as well as my dissertation work, which I, I ever get to do it. Thank you, COVID. We'll be looking at the impacts of women's menstrual cycle versus birth control during high intensity interval training. So a lot of the science literature that I've been reading this last year, writing about, learning about falls into this niche. And so I get asked about this all the time. And so the conversation around the effects of menstrual cycle and exercise performance is something we will talk about on another day. But today's episode is going to specifically only be talking about the impacts of oral contraceptives on exercise performance. And so for the context of today's episode, I also want to state that oral contraceptives of what I'm talking about here is mostly going to be the pill. So a lot of the science in the literature and research done in this niche is usually use usually using oral contraceptives, which is going to be monophasic or triphasic oral pill that you take daily. And so that's either taking the same amount of synthetic hormone every single day for three weeks, or your amount will change week to week over three weeks before going through a withdrawal phase, the sugar pill week, as you might know it. And so that's mostly what the literature is doing. So I know a ton of you are going to be like, well, what about my IUD or what about my bar? What about this or that? And so just keep in mind that some of these things may also be generally true because those may potentially be synthetic forms of hormones. But for the most part, science just happens to be done on pills because it's just really easy to control for. So I didn't do the research. I am trying to do the research. Okay. And I'm using a pill group. So maybe I'm part of the problem, but science on humans is messy and hard. So with that being said, I'm going to give my disclaimer and I'm going to try to simplify this. It's a little long winded in my first attempt of this, but generally I am not interested in participating or discussing the fear mongering based messages that women often get around birth control in the fitness space. I'm not here to tell you what to do with your body. I'm not here to tell you what to take or what not to take. I am quite frankly only here today to share with you the non-emotional data of what the current body of the scientific literature says and or alludes to in context of the effects of birth control on exercise performance. There's a ton of topics that span greater than just exercise performance when it comes to birth control and other considerations and other reasons women might make these choices or not make them. And that is fine and dandy, but my niche and my expertise lies in exercise. I'm an exercise physiologist, right? And so if you have concerns about your health or some of these other things, I really encourage you to be an advocate of your own health. Talk to your doctor, demand better from your doctor. If you have a poor experience, get a new provider. If that's something that you're able to do. When I was concerned about certain things and messages that I was receiving on social media, because yes, even I kind of freaked out about this a little bit, a few years back, I went to my OBGYN and I was like, listen, these are my concerns. This is why I have these concerns. This is my experience. What do you think about that? And so we had a great conversation and I am still on birth control after that conversation, because I went to her with my questions, my comments, concerns. I don't really have a bad experience, but I wanted to discuss with her things that I was concerned about and worried about. And we had a true, honest, frank conversation. Hopefully you have a great doctor. You can do that with as well. I know that is an incredible privilege to have a doctor and medical provider that listens to me, but I want to encourage women as all things in life to be an advocate for yourself, demand better for yourself. And so with that being said, let's dive in to first how these pills work. So you understand why the impacts of 
what they're doing potentially with exercise may be occurring. And so if you have ever seen a figure of a, ma- a menstrual cycle, maybe Google it if you're on your phone right now, you see the rise in falling and like a, a nice ebb and flow and dance of our hormones across the month. And so you will see in the beginning of your month, you have really low hormones actually during your menstrual cycle, which is ironic because you're on your period. You think you'd have high hormones because you feel hormonal, but you actually are at the lowest phase of your more menstrual cycle at that point. And then you will see a gradual rise in estrogen and luteinizing hormone and follicular stimulating hormone across that first half of the month as your body prepares to release an egg so you can get pregnant. And so that ovulation needs to occur for you to become impregnated and or a sperm and egg to me and do the lovely dance and procreation of life. And then depending on if that is fertilized or not, assuming it's not, you will have a slight fall in estrogen again and then rise of progesterone and estrogen together before crashing again and you are at your menstrual cycle. Now, that's a lesson on menstrual cycle, but you're like, Alyssa, I'm on birth control. Why does this affect me? But it's important to understand that so you know how this is differently affecting this. So I will say that when people say that the birth control suppresses, quote unquote, your natural menstrual cycle, this isn't entirely false. You take synthetic hormones and you're taking either the same dosage every day for three weeks or some sort of controlled dosage each week across a month. And during that time, instead of having your hormones do this cyclical dance up and down, they're going to be plateaued for three weeks at a time or one week go up to a week go up a week go up if you are on triphasic pill. And then you're going to have a withdrawal phase, which you'll have early and late withdrawal. You can actually think of that differently where you will have a general kind of slight rise in your natural hormones during that week. And you might may or may not have a what they call a withdrawal bleed during that time. And so the whole purpose of birth control, assuming you are taking it to prevent pregnancy, while there are other reasons to take it, but the purpose of them when it comes to preventing pregnancy is that it suppresses that ovulation that occurs. So you don't want that to occur, and that's how it stops you from getting pregnant. That's how birth control works, at least in the context of an oral contraceptive pill. Obviously, this is a very oversimplified version of this. If you're someone who's trained in these things, and you're like, Alyssa, there's so much more nuisance to this. That's great. You can come to our podcast and chat. We'd love to have you. Um, but for the the simplicity of our audience, that's the general gist of how they work. And so the first thing I want to talk to you guys about is a meta-analysis that was released this year. And so when we talk about meta-analysis, it's basically a research study of all the other research studies that have been done. And they basically look at every single study, what they found, what the results were, and they do this thing where they kind of score it on how much of an effect it has. And that's called an effect size. And so essentially what they're finding is they see how much of a, how big or how small of an effect that study found. And they sum, summarize all the effects of all the study. And they plot it on this thing called a forest plot, which has a median line. And wherever the average of all the studies goes towards, that's usually the quote of the quote consensus of the literature. And so what they did is they looked at natural menstrual cycle exercise performance versus birth control menstrual cycle performance, and they looked to see how much of a difference there was. And essentially what they found, these are their three key points listed in the paper, Elliott Sale et al. 2020, was that one, when compared to a natural menstrual cycle, oral contraceptive pill use might result in slightly inferior exercise performance, although any group level effect is most likely to be trivial. As such, from a practical perspective, the current evidence does not warrant general guidance on oral contraceptive pill use compared to non-use, which is basically saying that at a group level, if you look at women as a whole, there doesn't really appear to be a tremendous or 
enough of an effect for them to have general recommendations. And that's probably going to be more at the individual level. So woman to woman, it might be different, but as a group, as a whole, there might be slightly inferior or less than performance than your normal menstrual cycle, or if you were not oral contraceptives, but the effect of that is most likely individually determined, not a group effect. So it's not actually even that big of effect. If you guys pull up that study, if you write, read it, the effect is very small, um, but it is there. So it's important to note that. And so the next key point was that exercise performance appears relatively consistent across oral contraceptive pill cycle. So the three weeks or and or plus the withdrawal phase, that's the cycle, suggesting that different guidance is not warranted for taking pill days. So your active pills versus non taking pill days or your sugar pills and active pills. So for the most part, it appears that you probably don't need to change much across the month. Again, individually, if you feel differences, and we'll talk about this in a second, maybe you want to. And so their final point was that in the case of quote unquote sportswomen, as they call us, who are focusing on performance, it is not recommended. It is recommended that an individual approach is sought based on each athlete's response to oral contraceptive pills. So again, really want to highlight the autonomy in that. And so this is completely up to you, your choice, your body and your response. And also for coaches and people in this realm who are kind of actual athletes and or just women in general, acknowledging that women do take birth control. I think it's upward of 60% of women who participate in sports take birth control. So I think acknowledging that as a choice women are going to make, whether we personally agree or disagree with it, um, and understanding these impacts so that we can work with them and actually empower them with our knowledge rather than shaming or promoting something either way. And so obviously this is just one individual study, but there's tons of studies out there. And so I've teased through and read through a lot of these individual papers and these findings for the work that I'm currently doing with writing my dissertation work. And so let's break down some of the other common general trends we see in the literature that maybe are not captured in this overall statement of just do what works for you, right? Because that doesn't always help us. But I also want you guys with my podcast and my platform to be empowered to understand what's possibly going on in your body. And so... I'm going to go through a few key trends and points that we often see generally in the literature, and some of them might contradict each other and or be a little bit confusing, but we're going to try to explain them to you as best as possible. And so the first one is that oral contraceptive use may increase blood triglycerides without matching increases in fat oxidation during exercise, which is a big fancy way of saying that you're probably going to have a greater release in triglycerides, which are basically your body's storage and transport form of fats in your body. And that's going to rise and there's going to be a higher presence of those in your blood during exercise, but this may or may not be matched with fat oxidation. So they'll be released, but you may not be oxidizing them as a way, as a, you may not be oxidizing them for fuel, essentially. So fat oxidation is what we think of when we think of quote unquote fat burning, but the way that works in our body is it releases fats and we use them for energy metabolism. So you might have that release or increase without actually oxidizing and burning them. When we talk about negative effects of birth control, a lot of these have appeared to disappear or go away when we think about the changes in the pill forms over the last decade or so. And so if you're older or you've been on a pill for a really long time, or if you just generally are aware of this, the 
Synthetic estrogens in these pills have been reduced from 150 micrograms to 20 to 30 micrograms. That's usually the standard dosage in these pills now. And so a lot of the negative side effects that have gone, that used to occur or that people are worried about, especially when it comes to lipid metabolism, having high blood triglycerides, that isn't a concern that women often have with being on it. A lot of this stuff appears to be reduced now that the synthetic estrogens are reduced. And so, like I said before, yes, this does, quote unquote, suppress your normal hormone cycle and you do undergo pseudophases. That's how it works to suppress ovulation. But a lot of changes have been made over the last 10, 20 years to make these pills safer in general, not saying they are better or worse than your natural menstrual cycle, but in general, they are safer and appear to be safer than they did before. So when it comes to your contraceptive and or progesterone-based birth control methods when, it, when we talk about strength training and the effects it has on that. These types of birth controls may decrease muscle protein synthesis, which means that you might have a lower rates of muscle building or muscle recovery. But interestingly enough, there appears to be actually no difference in the strength gains seen following resistance training between groups. And there actually might possibly be a greater increase of strength of women on 30 microgram doses versus 20. So just a fun little finding the literature there, maybe not the biggest thing, but you know, it may depend on your dose, the effect that what you see in your exercise performance. But when I talk about decreases in muscle protein synthesis, because I think that's something that's going to be a red flag for a lot of women listening to this, is that that just might mean that you need to focus on other things that have to do with your recovery if being on birth control is your choice and or with your clientele that you're working with or trainees. And so with women in general, especially with having high progesterone in the second half of their phase, pregnancy, all these things, protein intake, recovering timing are, is an important thing regardless of what population we're talking about in general, but especially women, because we want women to build muscle and or retain it. That's a huge component of their metabolic health. But we also have, you know, even if we're not on birth control, we're going to have high progesterone the second half of the month. So considering protein timing, recovery, exercise volume, training, sleep, lifestyle stress, all these things still matter regardless if you're on the pill or not. So before you go freaking out that you need to stop taking your birth control because you are so worried about muscle protein synthesis. Remember that during pregnancy, progesterone rises and you have decreased muscle protein synthesis and usually muscle loss following that. And or there might be things within your lifestyle, regardless if you're on the pill or not, that you can affect, control, or quote unquote optimize before you worry about this individual variable. Things that also decrease muscle protein synthesis is inadequate resistance training, inadequate loading, not enough dietary protein intake, not enough dietary carbohydrate, not enough dietary carbs, inadequate sleep or poor stress and or volume management within our workout training. So remember that this is a small piece of the whole pie. We, this is not an individual pie, right? So you have all these factors that in, influence your strength, performance, and recovery and muscle growth. So I know that's one that people would get hung up on. So I really want to highlight with almost all of these two, nutritional intake and your training status itself is going to impact these things hugely. Okay. Moving on to maybe less strength-specific stuff, but just general exercise performance as a whole, there, there appears to be a potentially reduced capacity when it comes to anaerobic exercise performance and or inability to achieve a true VO2 max plateau, which is reflective of that inability to be in that high and anaerobic state. So what does this mean for gen pop people? So generally, this is something to be aware of for researchers. I should know that I might have a hard time getting my birth control groups to get that high end top end of their effort when it comes to VO2 max tests and or achieving a true VO2 max 
Max test. So essentially what this means for the gen pop woman is that you just might have the inability to work in those higher end ranges and efforts. So if you notice that, that might be something that you want to just pay more attention to, but also keeping in mind that things like adequate dietary carbohydrate and timing within your workouts will also allow you to be able to do that more optimally. So with this, this this result and finding actually kind of parallels this pretty nicely is that there might be differences in lactate metabolism and there appears to be some reports of women having higher blood lactate values when they are on birth control or in these active pill phases. And so what does that mean for you? Most of the time, if you are engaging in exercise, you're probably completely unaware that you have blood lactate always in your body until you get into those higher, harder end ranges where it starts to accumulate and you feel that burning sensation in your legs. Um, associated with lactate metabolism. But generally, when we look at research studies, there appears to just be a greater appearance or maybe decreased rate of clearance, which is a whole nother science lesson for another day of lactate in these populations. So that makes sense. If you're having a hard time doing anaerobic metabolism efficiency efficiently, you're probably going to have a greater or higher rate of lactate accumulation to parallel that. One thing that is fun for me that may not have any relevance to any of you guys, you've never thought about it before, but it pertains to my research and it's pretty cool, is that there's a study that was done that found no differences in oxygen on kinetics during exercise onset, which is a big fancy way of saying that when you start engaging in exercise, your body's ability to deliver oxygen in your blood to your muscles and your muscles to take it up and use it for energy production does not appear to be slower or impaired when on birth control, which is a good thing. Like That's a positive. And so there are other studies that do show that there might be differences between your active phase versus inactive pill phases or your sugar pill week, and also maybe differences from the beginning of your sugar pill week versus the end, because that's when you have more of a natural rise in your hormones across that week before going back onto your synthetic pills the Monday at the, at the end of that or whatever day you take it. And so you guys can just pay attention to your own bodies and seeing if you notice those things within yourself. And if you do, then addressing them within your training, nutrition, or whatever it is that you need to do to optimize that. But last but not least, a lot of studies just generally show no effect or difference in performance. And this may be due to poor control in these studies, not having actual confirmation of the menstrual cycle or pill phases and or just poor study design, which is a big reason a lot of the results in the meta-analyses were kind of like, mm, we can't really say because some of the studies just didn't have a high score on study quality. And so this is something the field definitely needs to work on moving forward. I'm hoping to do with my research and my study, but there's a lot of stuff that's like, oh, this might happen. Oh, this appears to happen. Oh, this kind of happens. But then there's also for every one of those, there's another study that shows eh, mm, there's really no difference there, which is why with that meta-analysis, you'll see that there's only a really tiny, tiny effect showing that their performance is slightly decreased, but it's probably not a ton because there's such a difference in the results in all these studies. So to sum it up for you guys, because you might be like, huh, Alyssa, what did you just say to me? This is most to be informative and educational. I can't tell you over a podcast what exactly to do for yourself, but I did give you some key tips and takeaways and things that you can adjust in there. So I think regardless of if we agree with women being on birth control or not, we can use this information so we just know what their experience or potentially undergoing when they are on it. And so, like I said, to to simply summarize this, overall, the literature does slightly lean in support of a natural menstrual cycle. And what most of the other literature and science is finding is that generally there might be a slight decrease in anaerobic capacity or your really high, hard efforts. There's possibly higher lactate levels or accumulation and or poor clearance with birth control. Maybe a little bit more triglyceride release. And most likely a lot of this can probably be 
attributed to the fact that you just have lower overall hormone levels. When we have our normal natural menstrual cycle, estrogen appears to be really the best friend for women. Uh, it allows us to recover better. It allows us to handle more volume. It allows us to use more fat. It allows us to just be kind of superheroes for the first half of our month. And so with that, we are just honestly, quite frankly, suppressing estrogen or just having lower hormone states. So it's probably why a lot of these things occur themselves, not necessarily because of the pill itself, but just because of the suppression of hormones in general. And since hormones are what kind of allow women to have certain advantages in their performance, we are kind of taking that away. And so that's why we probably see a lot of the findings that we do in the literature, whether it's on strength and or general aerobic activity. So all this to say, most current recommendations come down to the individual level. Plenty of women have neutrally good experiences with oral contraceptives. I am one. And others have unfortunate, very negative experiences. Those are not to be brushed off either. So use this information today to apply to your training if you feel like you need to. Make some changes, tweak some things, maybe just pay better attention to what's going on. If you feel like you're struggling at those end ranges of your activity, maybe look at your carbohydrate intake. But if you think you're recovering more poorly or you're not making the gains that you'd hope to, Assess your diet, your protein intake, your sleep, your recovery, and your volume management. And then if you truly, truly, truly believe these things are the cause of all your problems and you have perfect training in eating and sleeping and stress management beyond that, have a conversation with your medical provider and not your favorite Instagram influencer. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in for the, today's Littlest Rant. I hope you learned something. I hope you feel a little more educated walking away from today. As always, if you enjoyed this, please rate, review, subscribe, tag us, share with your friends, share on your Instagram stories. We love to hear where and when you guys are listening to the podcast. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can buy us a quote unquote coffee that allows us to pay for production cost with Luke and Rachel, who are amazing and make us sound so buttery and beautiful every single week. And so until next week, I want to remind you guys to live well, demand better, and yes, stay messy. I'll catch you guys next time.